Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do lift up Judy to you today. Would you touch her body, Lord, and heal her of this, whatever it is, this infection? Pray that you would just have mercy upon her. Give her your touch, Lord. I pray, Lord, just for myself today, that you would help me to be able to bring to these precious souls your word. I pray that it would come, Lord, with your power, with your unction, with your anointing. I pray there would be an anointing not only on the preacher, but upon the congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would be the one watching and that, Lord, we would remember that we listen and we preach to an audience of one. You are the one that this service revolves around, Lord Jesus Christ. So may you make yourself revealed today. Open up your scripture. Show us yourself, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Our text today is Genesis 28:12. This is what it says. He, that is Jacob, had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, one of the principles of biblical interpretation is that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Interestingly, Jesus Christ himself gave us a bit of a commentary on this dream that Jacob had. You might recall early in the years of Jesus' ministry, Philip went and called a friend of his named Nathaniel and said, hey, you've got to come to this guy that I, I've met. His name is Jesus, and I think he just might be the Messiah. And so Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and before Nathaniel can get anything out of his mouth, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now that's interesting, because Jacob had his name changed from Jacob to Israel. He said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Look, Nathaniel, you are a follower of Jacob, a follower of Israel. But not like that guy, you're different. He was full of deceit, full of conniving, full of crookedness, but you're a man in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel looks up at Jesus and he says... you've got to be the king of Israel. You must be the son of God. Oh, you know, I left out a part to that story. Jesus told him, the way I I knew you, because before Philip even called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And that's why he was so astounded by this whole thing. And he says, you must be the king of Israel, the son of God. And Jesus replies to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe because of that? Behold, you're going to see heaven opened, and the Son of Man, or angels ascending on this, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we have two parallel things going on. Back in Genesis 28, the dream said that there is going to be angels ascending and descending on what? A ladder. A ladder. Jesus said to Nathaniel, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ. That was his favorite title for himself. So, the ladder is the Son of Man, or the ladder in Jacob's dream, according to Jesus, is Jesus Christ himself. That's the point. And so what we want to see as we work our way through this text today is how Jesus is the ladder that God revealed to Jacob. Now, in order to understand this, though, we have to go back a little ways And we have to rehearse a little bit of this story. You see, Jacob right now is running for his life. And the reason he's doing that is because he's just cheated his twin brother out of the blessing. When Jacob and Esau were born, Esau came forth first. He was red and hairy all over. And as soon as he came out, Jacob came right out after him, clutching onto his brother's heel. And so they said, okay, we're going to name him Jacob. The word Jacob means heel catcher. And it was a very appropriate name because Jacob spent the rest of his life tripping people up and catching them by their heels. He did that to his brother on more than one occasion. When these brothers grew up, Jacob was able to weasel his brother out of the birthright. And then later, with the help of his scheming, conniving mom, they were cut out of the same cloth, he, he connived his brother out of the blessing. See, there were some problems in this family. Esau was a man's man. 
you know, a macho, athletic, outdoorsman kind of a guy. And so Isaac, the father, really favored Esau. They had that in common. Jacob, on the other hand, was more of a sort of a mama's boy. He liked to stay indoors. He liked to cook in the kitchen. And so Jacob favored, or I mean, Rebecca favored Jacob. So there, there, there was this favoritism going on within the household. And when it was time for Isaac to confer the blessing on one of his two sons, he told Esau, even though God had already revealed to them that the older was going to serve the younger, Isaac told Esau to go out and hunt some game, bring it back, and prepare a savory dish, a delicious dish. And after he had eaten and been satisfied, he would confer the blessing upon his son. So Esau takes off to go hunting with his bow and arrow in hand. And as soon as he's out the door, Rebecca, who's eavesdropping, says, Okay, Jacob, this is our chance. And so she says, You go in and pretend that you're Esau and let him bless you. And he says, he'll, he'll never buy it, Mom. I don't look like Esau. I don't smell like Esau. You know, I don't have hair all over my body like Esau does. And she says, no problem. We'll get the skins of some goats and we're going to cover up your arms and your hands and your face. And so if he feels you, he's just going to feel hair, just like you would feel if he felt for Esau's face. <laughs> so that's what they did. He went in before his father, who was blind by this time. And his father says, well, it doesn't sound like Esau, but... You kind of smell like Esau. And, yeah, you, you you feel like Esau. I guess you must be Esau. Okay, well, here's the blessing. And so he blessed Jacob instead of Esau. So Jacob leaves, and as soon as he's done, in comes Esau with his game, and he says, Okay, Father, I'm back. Where's the blessing? And his father trembled. He says, Your brother has come and stolen the blessing from you. And at that point, Esau was filled with rage and fury, and he determined in his mind, he started hatching a plot of how he was going to murder his brother. Seriously. Well, Rebecca gets wind of this plot that Esau has to murder Jacob, and so she, puts, she plants the thought in her husband's mind, we've got to get Jacob out of here. Uh, how can we do that? Well, Jacob's of marrying age, it's high time for him to, him to be married, and I don't want him to marry any of the women around here. Would, uh, Isaac, we need to get him somehow back to our hometown so that he can find a suitable wife. And so Jacob then comes, or excuse me, Isaac then comes to Jacob and charges him. He says, you've got to go back to your mother's hometown and choose a bride from among her relatives. And so Jacob takes the opportunity to hot-foot it out of there. He's getting out of town. He's running for his life, getting away from a murderous brother. And he walks all day long. At the end of that day, he's hot and he's tired. The sun begins to drop down below the horizon, so he knows he's going to have to spend some time getting some sleep. So he finds a place to lie down. He has no pillow, so he finds a stone for his fellow. Imagine, maybe he puts some clothes or something to cover that thing up so it wouldn't be too hard on his head. But he lies down on that pillow and goes to sleep. And God gives him this particular dream. A dream of a ladder set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And this morning, in order for you to remember this message, I've developed an acrostic with the letters for ladder. L-A-D-D-E-R. And so all you have to remember is the word ladder and you're going to remember this sermon. Jesus is a long ladder, he's an accessible ladder, he's a durable ladder, he's a dependable ladder, he's an effective ladder, and he is a revealed ladder. Okay, number one, Jesus Christ is a long ladder. What do you mean, Brian? I mean that he extends from earth all the way to heaven. Isn't that what it said here? Mm -hmm. Behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Now, I know something about ladders because I own a window and gutter cleaning company. And we use ladders every day on our jobs. And we've got two trucks, and each truck is outfitted with four different ladders. We've got a 28 and a 20-foot extension ladder. And then we've got a 6-foot step ladder and a 4-foot step ladder. And sometimes we'll get out to a job where we're doing some gutter cleaning, and I don't want to carry that big old heavy 28-foot ladder, so I'll get off the 20-foot ladder hoping that it'll make it. 
and I'll, re I'll extend it all the way to the very top and lean it up, and it's short by about a foot or two of getting up to the top of the roof so we can clean the gutters. So my ladders sometimes are not long enough. Jesus Christ is a ladder who is always long enough. He's always long enough. He has a foot on the earth, and that ladder extends all the way into the heavens. Now, let's talk about the part that sits on the earth. It says here, the ladder was set on the earth. This is talking about Jesus' humanity. Jesus is one person with two natures. He's both man and God at the same time. The top reaching the heavens, that shows his deity, his godhood. Being set on the earth, that shows his humanity. And he's able to bridge the gap between heaven and earth because he's God and man at the same time. Now that's important. It's important that you understand that. Now, why would it be important for Jesus Christ to be having one foot on the earth? Can anyone think of why that would even be important? Well, if he wasn't a man, he couldn't die for sins. Okay. Man has sinned, so man has there you go. There you go. Man had sinned, and so another man who represents mankind must come into the world to pay the penalty for sin. Adam brought all of this evil and mischief and misery into the human race. Another man has to come and undo that misery for the human race. So Jesus Christ comes as a true man, a true representative of manhood. You see, in order for someone to undo what Adam did, they're going to have to suffer and die. God can't suffer and die. But a human being can. That's why over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. God prepared a body for Jesus Christ. Before he came into the world, he was, he was pure God, spirit, like the Father and the Holy Spirit. But the Father prepared a body for him, and the eternal God, the everlasting, incomprehensible, unchangeable God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, enters into this world by assuming, by taking on himself a human nature. Man and God come together in one person, not just for 33 years, but for the rest of the time that Jesus Christ will exist, which is forever. Did you ever think about that? Jesus has a human, it's glorified, but he has a glorified human nature today in heaven, and he always will have a glorified human nature. He has permanently become one with you and I. So in order for someone to die, God has to become a man in order for that to take place. We also find over in Hebrews Chapter 2, verse uh, 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. The children, that's you and I. We're the children. Because we partake in flesh and blood, he had to partake of the same. He had to become like one of us. So, the foot of that ladder rests squarely on the earth. God has come down and become a man. The ladder extends all the way down to the earth so that he can become one of us. Now, not only that, but this ladder also reaches to heaven. Someone once put it this way, Christ is both God and man because God could not suffer and man could not satisfy. But the God-man both suffered the wrath of God and satisfied the justice of God when he bled and died as the sinner's substitute on the accursed tree. I thought that was good. God could not suffer and man could not satisfy. But the God-man both suffered the wrath of God and satisfied the justice of God. So let's focus now upon the top that reaches into heaven all the way up to heaven. Jesus Christ is not simply a man. He's not someone like Muhammad. He's not like Buddha. 
He's not like Joseph Smith or any other religious leader on the planet. He's not simply a mere human being. He's the God-man. He's the eternal one. He's God who became flesh. Why would it be important for the top of this ladder to reach all the way into heaven? We've seen why it's important for it to descend down to the earth. But why is it important that Jesus be God? If he was just a man and he died, he'd be dying for his own sins. Okay. So okay. he had to took God to die. It took a blameless That's right. Holy. That's right. The deity of Christ adds worth and efficacy, effectiveness to Jesus' sufferings. It gives them value. It gives them worth so that he is able to die for others. Let me put it to you this way. If there's a, a, a choice between killing a cockroach and killing a human being, what would you choose? Who would you choose? you kill, kill a cockroach. Well, how many cockroaches would you be willing to kill before you would kill that human being? All of them. Why? Because there's more worth in a human being than there is in a cockroach. Here we have God, Jesus Christ. Here we've got the whole human race. Did you know why Jesus can suffer and die for the human race? Because of his worth. Because he's God. That's not just a mere mortal. That is the eternal creator God who came down to earth to suffer and die for sins. That's why Jesus can suffer and die for others, not just for himself. That's why it has value for so many millions of people. So here we find Jesus Christ, the God-man, coming into the world. Because he's God, he can deal with God. Because he's man, he can deal with man. Now, if he was only God, he couldn't deal with us. We would be incinerated if this one tried to have dealings with us. And if he was only man, he couldn't deal with God. But because he's both, over in the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 33, Job complained. He said, there's no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Okay, so... He says, there's nobody who can lay one hand on this guy and one hand on that guy and bring them together. There's no umpire that can do that. But Job didn't know that God was going to send an umpire into the world. One that would lay his hand on God and lay his other hand on man and reconcile the two. We're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Let me find that reference for you. Now let me read this one to you. It's 1 Timothy 2.5. This will be better. Paul says there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the mediator. A mediator is one who draws two people together. He's like a ladder. He brings people on the earth and people in heaven together through bridging the gap between the two. So he's a long ladder. He's also an accessible ladder. An accessible act. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, anybody can get to him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, anyone who wants Christ can have Christ. He's accessible to them. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, 37, let me read that to you also. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. If you come to Christ, Jesus says you're welcome. You won't be cast away. He will receive you. So this is an accessible ladder. Now why is it so accessible? Because the way we climb this ladder is through faith. Faith is the hand that grips the ladder and the foot that climbs the ladder. You don't climb this ladder through works or through self-effort or anything of the sort. In fact, I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe that if they had been, if they had built escalators in the time that Jacob had this vision, that God would have shown him an escalator mm -hmm. instead of a ladder. Because what do you do on an escalator? You just, you just rest. You just stand there and the escalator does all the work. It takes you to the top and you just rest. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You see, faith is resting in the work of somebody else. That's what faith is. Faith is not saying, I'll try harder, I'll do better, I'll pull up my bootstraps, I can do it, I know I can. It's the opposite of that. It's saying, I will rest in the work of someone else. So this is an accessible ladder because faith is accessible to all if they won't uh, exclude themselves through unbelief. If anyone wants to believe in Christ, they can believe in Christ. In fact, we exercise faith all the time, don't we? I exercise faith in my car every time I get in and turn the ignition. I believe it's going to start. Or I get on an elevator and go up and down. I believe I'm not going to fall to the ground and be killed. Or I exercise faith in that ladder. I get on the top of it and I go up 28 feet sometimes cleaning windows and I believe it's going to hold me. So we have the ability to exercise faith in the natural sense. Right? We do it all the time. The reason people don't exercise faith in Christ is because they don't have the will to. Their, their unbelieving, wicked hearts keep them from exercising faith. If that rebellious will was not there, they would surely turn to Christ. So it's accessible to anybody. Young man, old man, woman, man, male, female, any nation under heaven, all can come to this ladder. Accessible to all. So he's an accessible ladder. He's also a durable ladder. I've got some ladders that are not that durable. I've got these six-foot step ladders that about every two years they break on me. Something happens and they start bending and they won't work anymore, so I have to get rid of them and get another one. I have to replace them. Jesus is a ladder who brings an eternal redemption. What Jesus Christ accomplished through bridging the gap between God and man lasts forever. In fact, in Daniel 9.24... There's a prophecy that says when he comes into the world, he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Or in Hebrews 9.12, there's a scripture in Hebrews 9.12 that says he's going to bring eternal redemption. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Or Hebrews 5.9 says that to all who obey him, he became the source of of eternal salvation. Or Hebrews 7.25 says that he's able to save forever those who come to God through him. So everlasting righteousness, eternal redemption, eternal salvation, saves forever. He's a ladder that endures. He's durable. You can count on him forever. But not only is he a long ladder, an accessible ladder, a durable ladder, he's a dependable ladder ladder. He's dependable. I've got some ladders. When I get up there 24 feet or so and it's on a windy day, I'm a little bit shaky. I'm, I'm thinking if that wind picks up, I'm liable to go over because this ladder is kind of flimsy. I choose my ladders to be light because I don't like to carry around those big heavy beasts, but those light ladders can get blown over. I have another ladder. It's called a little giant ladder and it's heavy but that thing is rock solid. It's immovable. You, when you're up on 20 feet on this little giant ladder, you don't have any fears at all because you just feel solid on that thing. Jesus is a dependable ladder. And what I mean by that is he'll never let you down. You can count on him. You know, we, count, can't, we can't count on each other so often. We have friends, we have family members, we have people at work, and eventually all of them will let us down. Jesus is a ladder that will never let you down. And that's because he never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Romans chapter 10, it says, He who believes in him will not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Are you afraid that you're going to arrive before God on Judgment Day and be disappointed? Well, if you believe in Him, the Word of God says you won't be disappointed. God will exercise His mercy towards you on that day. You'll be received as one of His sheep, not one of the goats, one of the sheep, and you'll be taken into His eternal everlasting kingdom. So He's a durable ladder. He's also an effective ladder. He's an effective ladder. And what I mean by that is that Jesus does 
what a ladder is supposed to do. He's effective. Well, what's a ladder supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to take a person from one place to another place, right? If you want to get up into a tree, or if you want to get up to the side of your house to clean a window, you want to get on the roof, it'll take you to where you need to go. It'll bridge the gap between one place and another place. Jesus Christ does that, and he does that effectively. He reaches all the way, not halfway. But all the ladders of men are ineffective ladders. They're all ineffective. Remember the men who were building the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11? They wanted to build a tower which would reach all the way into the heavens. And the irony is that the Bible says God came down to look at that tower. <laughs> so they wanted to build one into the heavens. God had to come down even to, to see it. It was that far down there. Man's ladders are like that. They're all ineffective. And I was thinking this last week of the various kinds of human ladders that we devise. We think, oh, I can get to God if I go through this or through that or through the other thing. One example is Mary. To some devout religious people, Mary is a ladder. In fact, they call her a co-redemptrix. What that means to them is that she takes a part in our redemption. Jesus' sufferings were not quite enough. You need the intercessions of Mary. And together, they'll do the job. Jesus and Mary together will get you to heaven. They'll bridge the gap between you and God. But Jesus alone is just not quite good enough. Another ladder, the Mass. See, I'm, I'm picking on the church I grew up in. <laughs> I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And the, the official teaching of that church is that the Mass, the communion, is Jesus Christ actually... Well, let me put it this way. The, the bread and the wine actually turn into the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called transubstantiation. And because that wafer that's put on your tongue is the actual flesh of Jesus Christ, when you eat him, the official teaching of the church is that he's sacrificed again. That's why it's called a host. The word host means a victim. Jesus Christ is sacrificed again and again and again through communion. In other words, the once-for-all cross of Christ is not enough. The ladder that Jesus <coughs> is through his cross is not good enough. You need communion, this ongoing taking of communion time and time again. And through that, God's grace is dispensed to you and you're saved. So that's one of the ladders that people have. Um, one of the other ladders that we have come up with is religious rules. Religious rules. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have come up with a long list. And they say, if you can keep these lists of rules, you'll make it to the third heaven. If you're good, you'll make it to the second heaven. But you have to go through these lists of rituals and rules to make it to the third heaven. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to be married in the temple. You've got to abstain from all caffeinated beverages. Coke and tea and coffee. Um, you've got to be baptized in the Mormon church. You've got to go through these secret rituals in the temple. And if you do all of these things and do them faithfully, you have a good shot of making it to the third heaven. But their doctrine of salvation is that God will save you with your help, which is really you can save yourself with God's help. That's what it amounts to. And unless you do everything quite right and work really, really hard you won't make it. It's a religion of works. It's a religion of self-effort. Christianity is not that. Christianity is a religion of God's effort, God's works, what God has accomplished. God has come down. God has become a man to lift you up to Him. So the ladder of Mary, the ladder of the Mass, the ladder of religious rituals and rules are human. They're of human devising. They are ineffective. They will fail you. On Judgment Day, you will be disappointed if you put your hope in these ladders. And we can mention others. Gurus, sorcerers, medicine man. I mean, fill in the gaps. We have all kinds of human systems that we come up with that think, okay, if I trust in this, I'm good. If I follow that, I'm okay. If 
I really try hard to do this, I'll make it. The gap will be bridged. But it won't be. It'll go about as high as the Tower of Babel and God's going to have to come down even to see you. It won't bring you to heaven. So, Christ is a long ladder, an accessible ladder, a durable ladder, a dependable ladder. He's an effective ladder, and he's also a revealed ladder. What I mean by that is that God had to wait until Jacob was asleep. And when he was asleep, he revealed to him this ladder. This ladder has always been this God-devised system of reconciling sinners to God has always been, but Jacob had no knowledge of it. And so God revealed it to him. He showed him the ladder that was already there. Jacob didn't have to build the ladder. God just opened his eyes to see the ladder that was already there. God did this for me when I was 19 years old. I grew up in a religious system. I went to church every Sunday. I was even part of the worship team. I had no knowledge of salvation. I don't remember anyone ever telling me the gospel for 19 years. When I was 19 years old, there was a traveling gospel bluegrass band that went through Sacramento. And they lost their banjo player. And somehow they got my phone number. They called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in auditioning? I said, yeah. I would, I'd been going to American River Junior College for a year and a half, and I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. But I knew I loved music. And specifically, I loved the banjo, and I loved bluegrass music. And here is a band who wants to hire me to travel full-time and just do music. I thought, what could be better than that? I'm ready. Let me add it. So they paid me $150, room and board. And the room and board was, <laughs> stay at this person's house one night, and that person's house the next night, and this person's house the following night. And we traveled in this, this big white van for a, one solid year. But God used that. I entered into the band a lost person, not knowing the gospel, not having any kind of relationship to Jesus Christ. And I began to hear preaching. Because we'd go to church after church after church and we'd do these concerts. And I would hear the gospel. And then we'd go stay at the pastor's house overnight. And he would say, so Brian, what's your testimony? And I said, what do you, what's a testimony? You know, your story. How, how did you become a Christian? And I think I bluffed my way through it a few times, but I realized pretty quick, I don't really have one of those. <laughs> a testimony? I, I didn't even know what he was talking about. So one of those pastors was kind enough to give me a Bible. A big black King James Version, Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I still have it. And I started to read it for the first time in my life. I'd tried to before. I'd tried to read the Bible, but it was like ink on white pages. It just was so boring, and I just couldn't get past the first page, and so I would always stop. But I don't know what happened. Well, now I do know what happened. God opened my eyes. And he caused his living word to live in me, and I started to see with new eyes the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, over in 2 Corinthians 4, it says that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the glory of Christ. Well, so in order for you to be saved, God has to shine his light into your heart so that you can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what happens when someone gets saved. This heavenly light comes into someone's heart and they see. Before, they couldn't see any glory in Christ. Now they see it. That happened to me when I was 19 years old, traveling around the western U.S., doing concerts. God flipped the switch, turned on the lights, and I fell in love with Jesus. And I've never been the same person since. Just like Jacob, God revealed to me a ladder. It was already there. I didn't build this ladder. I didn't come up with the ladder. He just showed me the one that was already there. And this is what God has got to do in our lives. We call this regeneration. It's the new birth. It's God flipping the switch. It's him turning over that key and the engine starts. It's God doing something on the inside of the soul of a person to make him a new person. So he's a revealed ladder. He's a revealed ladder. Now, I thought about the rungs of that ladder. If we think about that ladder and the rungs going from top down, what would they be? 
I think the first one would be the eternal covenant of redemption that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit entered into before time began. This oath, this promise that the members of the Trinity made to each other. The Father makes a promise, I will choose a people for my Son. I will give them as a gift to my Son. The Son promises, I will come into the world. I'll take on human nature. I'll live a spotless, holy, righteous life, fulfilling the law, making it honorable. Then I will voluntarily lay down my life. I'll rise again from the dead and ascend to heaven. So the Son makes a promise to the Father, I will come into the world and save these people. And then the Spirit makes a promise, and I will take the redemption that Jesus Christ purchased, and I will apply that redemption to their lives. I'll open up their hearts. I'll take the blinders off their eyes. I'll give them new life so that they see. And so the members of the Trinity enter into this eternal covenant of redemption. That's the first round. Second round. We have all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Like Genesis 3.15. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And there are many, many other prophecies that we could point to. But from Genesis all the way through Malachi, these promises of God, these prophecies that the Messiah was going to come. That's the second round. Third round, the incarnation. God becomes a man. Jesus is born. Jesus comes into the world as the God-man. God in human flesh. The next round, he grows up and he lives an absolutely spotless, perfect, holy life. Righteous. No one who's ever lived apart from him could make that claim. No one has ever done it but Jesus. Perfectly sinless and righteous. The next rung of the ladder, he lays down that life voluntarily on the cross, suffering the awesome, horrible, horrible, horrifying wrath of God, taking it upon himself, absorbing the wrath that was due us. The next rung, he's buried for three days. The next rung of the ladder, he raises from the dead bodily, destroying death, conquering death. The next rung, he ascends to heaven. The next rung, he sits down at the right hand of God and intercedes for all those who will ever come home to heaven. So these are the rungs of the ladder by which a sinner gets to God. It's Christ's doing. All of it. A hundred percent. It's not 99.9 percent. Jesus did everything. And we enter into what he did through faith, by resting in his work which he accomplished. That's what Kelly was talking about earlier today. When he said, it is finished, he meant it. It was done once and for all. So he's a revealed ladder to those whom he opens their eyes to see it. Not everybody sees the glory of Christ, but the Spirit of God will open some eyes. I heard recently Tim Keller give this illustration. He said it's like all men have blinders over their eyes and they're running as fast as they can toward this raging fire. They don't see it, of course. They're running, running straight into it. And God takes the blinders off of some men and they see that fire and in horror they turn around and start running the opposite way. That's salvation. God takes the blinders off. He shows you the destruction you're headed towards and he shows you the Savior who is Jesus, and you turn away from sin, and you start running to Jesus. That's conversion. So Jesus is our ladder. Now, in our text in Genesis 28, twice the word behold comes up. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What does the word behold tell you? Well, literally it means look, right? But look with wonder. Look with astonishment. Something great is here. Behold it. And there are times in our lives when we need to behold this ladder. Number one, we need to behold the ladder when we're lost. Because this ladder is the only way of salvation. You need to behold it when you're lost. 
There is a mediator. There is a ladder. There is a bridge between a holy God and sinful people like you and I. And the ladder's Christ. And if there's anyone that's come this day who's never had the blinders taken off, who never has seen the glory and wonder and beauty of Jesus, look to him, behold him as your ladder. In Isaiah 45, 22, the scripture says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when the people were bitten by these snakes and they started to die? And they were crying out to Moses, Moses, what are you doing? You, you took us out of Egypt and here we are in this, this horrible place and we're getting bitten we're dying. What are you going to do? And Moses intercedes to the Lord and the Lord says, okay, this is what you do. You take some bronze and you fashion it into a serpent. You put it on a pole and you lift that thing up as high as you can. And when anybody is bitten by the serpent, if they'll just look to that bronze serpent, they'll be healed and they'll, they'll live. And Jesus, later in John 3, said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him, not looks, believes, does the same thing. Faith and looking are the same. Whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus is the serpent lifted up. If we have been bitten by sin, folks, and we will perish, we will be drugged, dragged down to an eternal hell unless we find the Savior for that sin. But if we will simply look in faith to Jesus Christ lifted up on that cross for our sin and trust Him, we're saved. There's life and a look at the crucified. So behold the ladder when you're lost. Also behold the ladder when you have sinned. As Christians, we do sin, unfortunately. What do we do when we've sinned? We behold the ladder. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 1, this is what John says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have, what? An advocate. And that advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what is an advocate? Anybody know? If you're in a court of law, what's an advocate? Attorney. Yeah, he's your defense attorney. He's the one that pleads your case before the judge. He's the one that takes your side. Jesus Christ is your advocate before the Father. He's the one that bridges the gap between you and God when you have sinned. How does he do that? The next verse says that he's the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what the word propitiation means? It's a sacrifice that turns away wrath. That's the meaning of propitiation. God's wrath is upon the sinner. By nature, we're children of wrath, even as the rest. The only reason that some are not the children of wrath any longer is because God has saved them. He's rescued them from wrath. But when we sin... We go before God and we plead the merits of Jesus. We say, Father, I am sorry for that sin in my life. I shouldn't have done it. I am sorry. I thank you that Jesus Christ has borne all my sin, past, present, and future. He took it all away there at the cross. Lord, I am turning away from this sin in repentance, and I'm trusting that the blood of Christ covers me again for this sin that I've committed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for all of my sins washing them all away, and justifying me before your presence for all eternity. So when you've sinned, behold the ladder. If you've come this morning and you feel shame and guilt because of something that's been happening in your life, turn to Christ. Turn away from that sin. That's repentance. Turn to Christ in faith. Trust Him. The ladder's good enough to absolve you, to wipe away, to wash away all sin. We also need to behold the ladder in times of distress. That's the kind of situation that Jacob was in. He was running for his life. His brother was going to murder him. What did he need now that he was distressed? He needed God to come and comfort him, didn't he? And that's what this vision was intended to do for Jacob. He showed him a ladder and angels are going up and coming down that ladder. Now, 
What do angels do? What's their purpose? Hebrews 1.14 They're ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So they render service for people like you and I who are going to be saved. Now, I thought that was interesting. It doesn't say they render service for everybody. They render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. God knows who's going to inherit salvation. He sends these angels out to minister for them. So these angels go up. They stand before God. They get their orders and they come down. And they fulfill these missions that God sends them on. Sometimes there are people who are going to inherit salvation, but they're in dire trouble. It might be a, uh, a car wreck, or it might be some kind of terrible disease or something. God sends these angels to minister on behalf of these people that they will not die until they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So here's Jacob. He's got a brother who's out to kill him. He needs some comfort. He needs a sense of security that everything's going to be okay. What does God do? He gives him a vision of a ladder. And angels are going up, receiving their orders, coming down. Oh, I get it, Lord. You've got angels that can minister to my needs. You've got angels that can protect me from this murderous brother who's out to kill me and take my life. Thank you, Lord. There are times in our life when we're distressed, aren't there? It happens to all of us. There's trouble. There's trial. We need to behold the ladder. Just as things go up through Christ, blessings also come down from Christ. God sends his blessings down in Jesus. He might use angels to deliver them, but they all come through the ladder. They all come down on this ladder. Now we also need to behold the ladder when we seek to pray to God or praise God. I want to show you a couple of scriptures uh, the first one is from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's verse 5. Peter says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now he's saying you're, you offer up spiritual sacrifices. You're a priesthood. You're all priests. One of the spiritual sacrifices we offer to God is simply prayer. But he says, this sacrifice is only acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <coughs> Notice also Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. According to the word of God, we cannot pray or praise God acceptably, except we go through Christ. You say, well, what about the Jews? Doesn't God hear the prayers of the Jews? Or the sincere Muslims? Or the Hindus or the Buddhists? They don't go through Christ, but surely God hears their prayers. I'm sorry, God doesn't hear their prayers. The Bible says that the prayer of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And until a, a person comes to Christ, all of his sin is still on him. He's a wicked man in the sight of God. So a lost person, an unsaved person, no matter who he is, his prayers are an abomination to the Lord. They're not acceptable, and they can't be accepted unless they go through Christ. So, here's a ladder. And the angels go up the ladder carrying prayers and praises. The angels come down the ladder carrying blessings from God. We cannot even praise God acceptably, except we do it through Christ. We can't do anything in terms of our service to God unless we do that service through Jesus Christ our Lord. So many times our prayers are defective, aren't there? There's enough sin in our prayers today to damn all of us. All it takes is one sin to damn a person. And none of our prayers have ever been perfectly sincere, perfectly devout, perfectly fervent, the way they ought to have been. So they need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Even our praises, when we were praising the Lord. How many people here had their minds wander off when they were singing these songs about the glory of Christ? Even our praises have to be cleansed by His blood. So we need to behold Christ. 
when we're lost, when we have sinned, when we're in distress, when we're seeking to prayer, to pray or praise Him, and finally, when we come to die. We need to behold that ladder when we come to die. I want to show you a, a beautiful text from the book of Acts. This is the story of Stephen. Stephen is coming to die. He's in the midst of being stoned to death. And Stephen said, Behold! Interesting. I think it's kind of a throwback to Genesis 28.12. Behold, I see the heavens opened. What does that sound like? Jesus said to Nathaniel, You're going to see the heavens opened. The heavens were closed at the fall. And they remained closed until Jesus, the God-man, opened them again through His bloody sacrifice. Stephen says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What did Stephen see when he was dying? He saw the ladder. He saw the ladder. He saw Christ standing at the right hand of God. Now, why did he see Him standing? I thought Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus was standing to receive this saint, to welcome him into the eternal dwellings. Behold the ladder when you come to die, and all of us are going to come to die. 100 out of 100 people dies, unless Jesus comes back first. It's going to happen to all of us when it does fix your eyes on Christ. It'll make all the difference between that being an event of terror and dread to a time of sweetness and joy as you pass through. You pass over that river to the celestial city, like John Bunyan said in Pilgrim's Progress. He can make that a sweet transition if you behold Christ as your ladder. Let's pray. Lord God, would you apply this text to every heart today? Would you take it, Lord, and if someone is in distress, show them Christ as a ladder. If they've come here guilty and ashamed, show them Christ as a ladder. If they've come lost, never ever been saved, show them Christ as the ladder. Lord, if they want to do something for you, if they want to serve you or pray to you or praise to you, show them that Christ is still the ladder. May all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our confidence and all of our glory be in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.